Father, we do look forward to the day in which we are taken up by your Son and we are with him and our loved ones forever and ever with no sin, all because of Christ who died for our sins and paid the full penalty to bring us eternal life. And Father, we thank you that you are gracious and you are taking us now and conforming us into the image of your Son, Jesus. And you're using your word to do that. And Father, as we look at your word today, I pray that our hearts would be prepared to receive your word implanted, to to allow you by your spirit to do work in our hearts that we might become more and more like your son, Jesus. Lord, we just commit this time to you now and pray you'd be honored and glorified in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, uh, I'm pretty confident you would say that you are a follower of Jesus Christ, that you have accepted his call to repent of your sins and trust in him for salvation, and you are following him. Jesus said, follow me, right? And yet, as we look at following someone, we realize that if we follow Jesus, that consists of our entire life, of what we do. We're following him for our, this life and ultimately into eternity. Now, with that in mind, uh, sometimes we can get distracted. We can get sidetracked. Or we can be ignorant and not understand uh, how we should follow the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, God's word is very clear concerning what his will for us is. And what his will for us in following him is. And yet sometimes we can either by ignorance of not knowing the word or by hardness because of sin, effectively not be following Jesus Christ. Uh, The reality is that the Lord wants us to follow him wholeheartedly, that he might be glorified. Today we're going to see how we are to live as believers in these last days that not only are we to be setting our hearts on the Lord, right thinking that we can pray, not only should we be fervently loving the body of Christ, but we should be faithfully serving one another. Would you turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at verse 10. Uh, The section we're really looking at is verses 10 and 11. I started last week with the first portion of 10, uh, and we're going to look at the second half of 10 today. And within that, we're also going to look at the giftings that I didn't talk about last week. And then next week, we will, Lord willing, move into uh, the parameters for how we are to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the context of the book of First Peter, Peter is writing to believers in Asia Minor. It's about 64 A.D. And he is writing to those who are chosen for a great salvation. They're sojourners, just like we are. This, this, life is not, this place is not our home. We are temporary residents on our way to glory. And yet within our temporary residency here, there are some difficulties. And Peter has, right off the bat, reminded them about their great salvation in Jesus Christ. That they and we have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And we have an eternal inheritance prepared for us. Our salvation is ready to be revealed. And we look forward to that. And so how do we function in the midst of this life with the trials and troubles in the context of the glory that is to come. What we saw in chapter 1, we are to fix our hope in Christ alone. 
that we are to be holy because he is holy. Now that holiness comes by abiding in Christ and trusting in him, allowing his word to work out. It's not something we, we formulate ourselves. It's his holiness in us. We are to live in the context of godly fear because of the price that was paid for our salvation, the precious blood of Christ. We are to, because we've been born again unto this, we are to love the body of Christ. And we are to be, chapter 2, yearning for the pure milk of the word that we might grow in respect to salvation. And as Peter reveals, because God is doing an amazing work, he is building us up and he uses the illustration of a, of a temple that we are being built up as the temple of God. And within that, we are also those priests offering those acceptable sacrifices because we are those who have experienced his mercy. We've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light that we might proclaim his excellencies. And then in the middle of chapter 2, we began the application section of 1 Peter, where he says that as aliens and sojourners, in verse 12, uh, we are to stay far away from fleshly lusts which wage war with our souls. And then he gives some illustrations in the context of the difficulties believers will experience if we're following Christ. We are to keep our behavior excellent among Gentiles, those who are not saved. So as they observe our good deeds, and even though they slander us for it, they may glorify God in the day of visitation. God may use his life in us in front of them as an avenue to bring them to shame that they might be saved through Jesus Christ. We saw that we're to submit to the governing authorities and slave-master relationships like the work relationships, submit, and even if we're treated wrongly, to, to tr- trust and respond rightly in Christ, to do the right thing because his favor is towards us, his eyes are towards the righteous. And we saw in the end of chapter 2 that we've been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for us. We're to follow in his footsteps. And what was his footsteps? He kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously, and he did not revile and return or utter any threats, but he allowed the Father to bring forth his will, which was our redemption. Tremendous reality. And as we trust the Lord in the midst of unjust suffering, suffering for doing what is right, God will use our lives for his grand purposes. And then we saw within uh, the relationships of the marriage that wives are to be submissive just as Christ was submissive, just as he yielded to the Father's will. Husbands are to love their wives. They are to live in an understanding way just as Christ submitted. We have those statements. And then we saw that all of us were commanded to be like-minded, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, chapter 3 here, humble in spirit towards one another because when we're walking with the Lord, God's eye is towards us and his ear is attentive to our prayers. And then we saw in the middle of chapter 3 that we are not to be intimidated by those who persecute us for doing what is right, but we are to set apart Christ as Lord of our hearts. We're to sanctify him as Lord rather than the difficulties in our lives. You know, we can allow our thoughts to lord over us. We can allow the difficulties, the worries, the troubles, whatever it might be, to be really the Lord of our actions and thoughts. But instead, we are to sanctify Christ as Lord of our hearts. And we're to keep a good conscience, do the right thing within that. Because we saw in the end of chapter 3 that Christ, through his suffering, brought about our redemption. Then we saw in chapter 4, in light of Christ's suffering, what God did through it to bring our salvation, 
We are to arm ourselves with the same purpose, to be thinking rightly about our suffering, submitting ourselves to God, entrusting ourselves to the one who judges righteously, that his will might be brought forth in us. And the Apostle Peter made it clear that we believers, we no longer live for our will. If you've really come to Jesus Christ, you don't live every day of your life for your own will, unless you're hardened by sin. But we live for the will of God. We live in obedience to the will of God. That's what happens when Christ changes our lives. We, we go from darkness to light. Our, everything is changed. We were blind, now we see. And by and large, we live for Christ rather than for our, ourselves. And he said, in, in, that, in light of that, Peter makes it clear that those who you used to sin with basically are going to malign you. But the judge is standing right at the door. They're going to give an account. They're going to give an account. And then we saw that the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, we should be of sober mind and, and, and sound judgment uh, for the purpose of prayer. We need to get our relationship right with Christ. Although all sorts of stuff may be happening in your life, we need to be thinking rightly so that we can pray. And then we saw that we are to be fervent in our love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. And from this point, it moves into our passage where we see how we are to function in the context of love and a right relationship with Jesus by serving one another. First Peter chapter 4, and I'm going to go back a little bit to verse 7 and we'll read up through verse 11. The end of all things is at hand, therefore be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. And here's our passage. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks, let him speak as it were the utterances of God. Whoever serves, let him do so by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Christ Jesus, or through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Along with loving the brother, brethren, we are to be serving one another. And you might remember what we saw last week, and I want to review the, the first portion of this verse, and then we'll get into uh, the last element of verse 10. Remember, we saw that each one of true believers has received a special gift. Verse 10, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. As each one has received, it's already done. This term special gift uh, is the Greek word charisma. It speaks of that which is given, and it has the underlying sense of grace in it. It's, it's a gift, that which is given. As each one has received a special gift. Now these special gifts that are spoken of here, are, he's referring to are what we would call spiritual gifts. And we see them in Scripture, and we've been looking at the passages which reveal what those are. We have 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we have Romans chapter 12, uh, we have Ephesians chapter 4, and we have 1 Peter 4 right here, which reveal specifically these gifts. And he says each one has received. He's not saying going to receive. The reality is when we came to faith in Jesus Christ, we received the Spirit of God to indwell us forever. And we received a special ability, a spiritual gifting that we did not have before to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And he says, as each one has received, not just the ones, the special people, but as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another. Now, last week I mentioned the nature of these gifts. We looked at the nature of spiritual gifts, and we looked at the gifts that are in effect, and we'll review those later. But notice uh, that we recognized and saw last time that these gifts are always put in the context of love. All those passages, if you look right nearby where spiritual gifts are, you are going to see love. You see, it is, we see in, like we see in 1 John, which we're studying right now, this is the love of God, that we love God and we love his people, we keep his commandments, right? You see that, not his ten commandments, but the, his commands. 1 John chapter 5. And here we see love and serving together. But there are also grace gifts. Notice our passage, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. God's grace is unmerited favor that's brought forth through Christ. It's all from him and nothing from us. These gifts are grace gifts. And there are many other passages that share this. Each one, like in Ephesians 4, 7. But to each one, grace was given. Ephesians 4, 7. Romans chapter 12, verse 6, Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given, let us exercise them accordingly. And in our passage, speaking of the manifold or multifaceted grace of God, God gives by his grace special abilities for the benefit of the body of Christ to serve one another. Now, some people who never understand their giftings as believers, who never function rightly as stewards of those gifts, I think often the reality is maybe they're not walking in the context of God's grace. You see, we were saved by his grace. We didn't do anything to get salvation. We trusted in Christ. And as we have received Jesus Christ, we so walk in him. It's by his grace every moment, each day that we rely on Jesus Christ, we depend on him. And it's only in that context that God is going to manifest the gifting that he has. As Jesus said, Apart from me, you can do nothing. And the Apostle Paul, I mentioned this last week, he understood that everything he did was by God's grace. He understood that. Let me read, or you can read Romans 12:3 for the grace given to me, he says, I say. But 1 Corinthians 15, 9, Paul says, For I am the least of the apostles who am not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. And notice what he says. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. You see, you will never be able to function within the gifting God commands you to employ. You will never be able to do so unless you're functioning in the context of his grace, that you're walking by faith like true believers should be doing all the time, and confessing sin when we mess up, and trusting in Jesus Christ. It is by His grace uh, that we function, and these are grace gifts. They can only be manifest in the context of relying on Christ. Now, I mentioned last week that spiritual gifts are not natural talents. Now, praise the Lord. Some people say, I've got a talent to serve the Lord, piano, or whatever it might be, different things. We have talents that we should be good stewards of. But uh, they're, they're, those things are not spiritual gifts. Non-believers have those abilities. 
You see, natural talents are those things that we received when we were born physically. And those talents are matured as we grow. We see those things. If someone has a natural talent in music, uh, they have that when they're born, and it, and it actually is matured as they grow. And you see that talent come forth, those natural abilities. Spiritual gifts, likewise, are those giftings we receive when we are born from above. They are abilities by God's grace that we did not have before we were saved. And praise the Lord, because then otherwise we would rely on ourselves, and it's all Christ instead. And I shared last week also that these are for the serving of the body of Christ. Spiritual gifts are for the body of Christ. Let me share a few passages. So first of all, our passage, um, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in what? Serving one another. And you can read of all the one another's there. It's speaking of believers. Speaking of believers. We see in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, but to each one is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For the common good. And we have uh, in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, those gifts of uh, pastor, teacher, and those other ones, they are for what? The equipping of the saints. It's for the body of Christ. It's for the body of Christ. Now, we see in Scripture that each one of us has received a special gift. Now, I have uh, given you an outline on the back that has the giftings by the different uh, uh, passages, and I've given you my opinion specifically concerning certain gifts that have ceased. There are a lot of different opinions out in the, out in the body of Christ. What we need to do is go to the Word of God. You may have been raised in a, in a Christian culture or been involved in one that has a certain opinion about things. All of us need to take our opinions and submit them to the truth of God and then obey what God says. So with that, last time I shared specifically the gifts that I believe from Scripture we have. I went through that that list and talked about that, and we'll review that in a little bit just in the end. And I mentioned that there are sign gifts and revelatory gifts that I didn't have time to talk about last week, which I wanted to talk about this week, and then we would finish with the end of verse 10 and that's what we'll do lord willing so i'm going to talk right now about those gifts that we have or gifts that we do not have i believe and i'm going to show you from scripture why i believe we don't have those gifts and scripture needs to be the the judge and the and our absolute authority back in our passage if you look at uh, chapter um four in first peter verse 11 he says whoever speaks let him speak as it were the utterances of God. Whoever serves, let him do so by the strength which God supplies. And he says basically so that in all things God would be glorified. So he's saying in the sphere of gifting, there are two areas, speaking gifts and serving gifts. He doesn't talk about some of the other stuff at this point. It's later on in First Peter. Yet earlier uh, we see in First Corinthians sign and revelatory gifts. And you know, the Apostle Paul, or actually, excuse me, the Apostle Peter in his second letter is talking about uh, some of the things that Paul has written, chapter 3, some which are hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort to their own destruction. There are passages in Scripture that are difficult, and some of the passages concerning these gifts specifically are difficult. Uh, And there are those who would take it and twist it and manipulate the body of Christ. But we need to look and be good stewards of what God says, understand it, and move on past that stuff 
and then serve and employ the gifts that he has shared that we have. So with that in mind, I want to go through these passages and talk now about the giftings that I do not believe are in effect, and I'll share why. And then we will go back to the ones which I shared completely last week, which we have and are to employ. First of all, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's turn there, 1 Corinthians 12. This was a book written early when sign and revelatory gifts were functioning. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And the Apostle Paul is addressing issues. The Corinthians are messed up, and he's addressing that. And this, this portion is a, 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 not a, well, yeah, a reproof concerning their, their attitudes and actions in the relationship to spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, verse 4. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. And there are a variety of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Hey, there's all different types of gifts, but if they're from God, they're going to work together because they're all from one God, right? You see, he's making a point for unity, diversity in the context of unity. And in the Corinthian church, there was all kinds of division because people were functioning in the flesh. They were carnal. They were doing things uh, in their own abilities rather than the context of trusting Christ. And so now he goes and gives the list. And I want to go through, last time we went through this passage and we talked about the ones in effect, and we'll, we'll see that, but I want to share just the ones that I believe are not, and I'll talk about it. Verse 8, For to one is given a word of wisdom through the Spirit. This is obviously a speaking gift, Logos, Sophias. It obviously was the special ability at that time to speak God's wisdom. I believe this speaking gift was revelatory. And we'll see in the foundation of the church, God was solidifying his truth. And there were these revelatory gifts. Is this in effect today? I believe it probably isn't because we have God's completed revelation. The faith once for all delivered to the saints. And as we'll see in a minute, I believe firmly that God is not bringing new revelation, but we have everything we need pertaining to life and godliness within the scriptures. Second one here, and to another one, the word of knowledge, according to the same spirit, logos noseos. This is obviously a speaking gift. This is, a, this is in verse 8 of chapter 12. And it clearly pointed to that which was revelatory. This gift was the special ability to make something known that was most likely unknown, obviously. In a moment, all it will show from 1 Corinthians 13 that God had always made it clear that this would be replaced. Actually, let's turn there right now. 1 Corinthians 13. Turn up a little bit. Bob read this earlier. Now, this is a really complex you know, discussion. I can't get into a ton of stuff. We have a paper on the wall, but I'm just going to kind of hit the, the main points, and then we can look at these things later. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8. Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be, now it's a certain word in Greek, done away. The word means to be overtaken by something superior okay pretty simple uh if there are tongues they will cease that means to stop okay different words it's important to see that if there is knowledge it will be done away means to be overtaken by something superior okay for we know in part and we prophesy in part but when the perfect comes the partial will be done away okay that's pretty clear so we have the reality that paul is making clear back in this early letter that these things will be done away eventually they will be done away. The question is, when are they done away? When, right? That's the real question. Okay, back to chapter 12, middle of verse 9. And again, these are the sign and revelatory gifts. I'm skipping the other ones that we've talked about last week. And we'll review those in a minute. 
and to another gifts of healing by one spirit or healings plural now god is a god who can heal we know that right we pray to god heal us right we have issues god can do anything but as we'll see in a moment in the early church there were special giftings of being the special ability to heal as we see here or healings we'll talk about this in a minute and uh and it appears that apostle paul had this gift also as we look in scripture uh next gift in verse 10 and to another the affecting of miracles speaks of powers speaks of powers you know we need to examine everything carefully and hold fast to that which is good and abstain from every form of evil you know, one of the things I see is that people will take things out of their context and timing and place it into another place and manipulate the body of Christ and their flesh. We need to look at things appropriately. There was a gift of powers, the effecting of miracles. We see it here. We see it here. And now at this point, I think it's a good time to address these sign and miraculous gifts that uh, first accompanied the ministry of Jesus and then the ministry of the apostles. Take a look at Acts chapter 2.22. It's really important to see as we look at these passages that when Jesus came, he did the miraculous. It was an affirmation of the truth that he brought forth and his person. And the apostles, they brought forth the truth. And there was miraculous that accompanied them also in the early church. And then we see historically and biblically that when the foundation was laid, we don't see these gifts functioning. Doesn't mean God can't heal. Doesn't mean God can't do a miracle. I'm talking about these specific gifts. Look at Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, verse... I'm sorry, I said Acts 2.22. We're going to go to Hebrews 2 in a minute. So if you turn there also, we're good. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Peter is saying on the day of Pentecost, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with what? miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst just as you yourselves know. The miracles and signs and wonders that Jesus did testified of who he was and what he was saying. There was a testimony in that. Now uh, take a look at, uh, at, at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We see that signs and wonders also accompanied the apostles. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. The apostles were those sent by the Lord Jesus. There was an affirmation to the word that was coming forth from them. 2 Corinthians 12, 12. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs, wonders, and miracles. The apostles were affirmed True apostles by signs, wonders, and miracles. And now go to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Again, I'm not saying that God can't heal and God can't do a miracle. He does it all the time. I mean, he does things. Salvation is a miracle, by the way. Okay? But what I'm saying is these specific giftings were for a specific time and a specific person, and people will come along and prey on your ignorance or your good desires with a lack of truth to manipulate you. And we want to know what the, God's word says. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? He's talking about this tremendous salvation in Christ. If God brought judgment for the first covenant, how much more for rejecting Christ? Okay? He says, after it, this is speaking of the salvation message, by the way, in Christ. 
after it was first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard, that's, I believe, speaking of the apostles, God also bearing witness with them, he doesn't say us, but with them, those apostles, both by what? Signs, wonders, and various miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his will. He's not saying God bore witness with us these things. He bore witness with them, those ones that heard the salvation from Christ and proclaimed it. There is a biblical precedent we see very clearly in Scripture that the ministry of Christ was affirmed by the miraculous, and the ministry of the early church primarily the apostles, was affirmed by these miraculous gifts. And we see those gifts functioning within the church as God's word was still coming forth. The foundation was being laid. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. You see, the truth that we build our lives upon is, is in the word of God. And there was a time where that foundation, like a house, was being laid piece by piece by piece. God was bringing forth his word and he was affirming it with the miraculous And then that foundation, when it was done, we build upon it. We build upon it. Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. Hey, you Gentiles who came to Jesus, that's what he's saying. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Notice what he says. Having been, that's in the past, built up on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone to who, in whom the whole building is being fitted together and growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. The foundation is Christ as the cornerstone, and his word was brought forth by the apostles. And we have everything we need pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him. The apostles were those who were sent proclaiming his word. The prophets were those who spoke the word of God. They spoke forth God's word. There was foretelling or foretelling. So with that in mind, let's go back to 1 Corinthians 12 and look at some of these gifts here again. Middle of verse 10, he says, And to another prophecy, and we see this also in Romans chapter 12 and Ephesians 4. The term prophecy, prophete, uh, speaks of the ability to prophesy. We have prophets and the ability to prophesy. It was the supernatural ability to speak forth God's word. We see that in the Old Testament. Prophets, Old Testament, prophets, New Testament, they did the same thing. You look at them, they did. They spoke forth. Thus saith the Lord. God spoke through them and they declared his word. They declared his word. Now that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, we have his word already, once for all delivered. And if you look back in 1 Corinthians, and I'll read this for you, in 1 Corinthians 13.8, he says, if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. Something superior will take over, and we have the completed truth. We have the perfect, okay? Second Peter chapter 1, or chapter 2, turn there for a second, Second Peter chapter 2. Now, again, I'm giving you a lot of information. and you know, The most important thing is not all the side stuff, but I need to address it. The most important thing is obeying Christ concerning the giftings that are now. Okay, we'll see that, okay? Let's not get caught up in the side stuff. Christian church can argue about this stuff forever and ever and ever and ever until Christ comes and straightens it out, right? Let's, let's just focus on what we know and move forward. Second Peter chapter 2, uh, verse 1. 
But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers. When there was prophecy, there were false prophets. Prophecy done in the beginning of church, now teachers. There's false teachers. We see that. Okay, just as there will be false teachers. So with this in mind, it's our view that prophecy as a gifting has been done away because Christ has laid the foundation. We have everything we need. And what I see is those who are either misled by their desires, desires to do good things to follow the Lord, or the, and there are those who are misleading people specifically that get excited about things that are being said for God but are not from his word, and that's not from God. We have the word here completed, everything God wants us to know, everything pertaining to life and godliness. You see, in the latter, latter books of the Apostle Paul, Second Timothy and Peter, they're not talking about prophecy anymore. They're not talking about any of that stuff. They're talking about the scriptures. All scripture, written word, is right profitable for. It's for every good work, okay? Okay, so with that in mind, let's take a look back in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we'll get into what's really a, a, can be a spiritual quagmire, something that, that's debated and argued about all throughout the church. And I just want to share what I believe the Bible says. Middle of verse 10, to another various kinds of tongues and to another the interpretation of tongues. I heard everybody go, oh. <laughs> okay. We know there's huge debates. There's huge disunity. There's all kinds of arguments about stuff. My intention is not to argue about anything. My intention is to share the word of God that we would grow and understand it rightly and that we would all come to a biblical understanding for God's glory, Okay. So I just want to talk about this. The real issue about this is, is uh, in the kinds of tongues, is are they still around or not? You see, in the beginning of the church, starting in Pentecost, God gave people the ability to speak languages they did not know. That's what the word tongue means. It means language. We know that. Man speaks with forked tongue. He's speaking of language, right? Languages they didn't know that were interpreted or heard by someone in that language that declared God's glory and his and, and magnified him. It was a sign. It was a sign gift, as we'll say. And if you look back at 1 Corinthians 13, it says, "If there are tongues, they will cease." Remember, in Corinth, these things were functioning: prophecy, knowledge, and he is speaking to them as though it's going to cease while they're around. If you look at that writing, if it's there, it's going to cease. He's telling them it's going to stop. It's going to stop. The question is, not biblically, is it going to stop? God says it is. But the question is, when did it stop? When did it stop? Okay? And the answer is found in the reality of what God says in his word. I want to share just a little discourse on this. I want to get through it. 1 Corinthians 14. If you understand this passage, you will not get taken captive by people who prey upon your emotions and your desires to be following Jesus, but they prey upon your, your emotions and, and, and your, your experience. If you understand this, you'll understand the whole tongues issue, okay? And this is really important. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 14, verse 22. Brethren, do not be children in your thinking. This is not a compliment, by the way. Uh, yet in evil be babes, but in your thinking be mature. The term mature means complete. Grow up, Corinthians. Don't be babies in your understanding. Your understanding is not correct. I need to correct you. Don't be that way. 
And notice what he says now. In the law it is written, by men of strange tongues and by lips of strangers I will speak to this people. And even so they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So then, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. If you get this, you'll never be led astray. This is what we need to understand. Chapter 14, verse 22. Tongues are for a sign to those who believe, not to those who believe, but to, the, but to unbelievers. And he backs up this by a quote from Isaiah chapter, chapter, let's see what it is here. Isaiah chapter 28. He quotes Isaiah and then he says, so then this is what tongues are for. This is what it's for. He says, therefore, a sign to unbelievers, backed up by the quote, by men of strange tongues, verse 21, and by the lips of strangers, I will speak to this people, that's Jews in context, even so they will not listen, they were disobedient. He says, says the Lord, so then tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. The primary purpose of tongues was a sign. You've got to understand that. Primary purpose. So then tongues are for a sign. That's what God says. That's what he says in his word. Primary purpose. Now, there are some secondary purposes, edification, other things that we'll see in a minute. Primary purpose. Now, I want to explain a little farther into this so that we can understand. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 28. You see, when Israel made a covenant with the Lord, God said, you obey, there's blessing. You disobey, there's going to be trouble. You see, and he foretold what that trouble would be and some of the signs that would accompany their judgment. Deuteronomy 28, verse 47. We're going to see very clearly that tongues was a sign to the Jews who had rejected Jesus Christ, that God's plan had moved away from them temporarily. It was a sign of his judgment, and judgment did come. Okay, and we're going to see that from Scripture. Deuteronomy 28, 47. And I, I can read the whole passage, but I cut it down to this portion here. You can read the rest later. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and a glad heart for the abundance of things. This is, this is a, a consequence. Hey, if you go this way and you don't serve the Lord, you don't trust him and walk with him, this is the consequence. It says, therefore you shall serve your enemies and the Lord shall sin against you. And in hunger and thirst and nakedness, the lack of things, and he will put an iron yoke on your neck until you are, he has destroyed you. The Lord will bring a nation against you from afar, from the end of the earth, as the eagle swoops down, a nation whose language you shall not understand. Remember that. Whose language, a nation, fierce continents, uh, who shall have no respect for the old, show no favor for the young. Okay, he's going to bring in judgment a foreign nation. Okay? Now, God did do this, and it was prophesied also in Isaiah. Turn to Isaiah. And this is the quote that we have in our passage in in First uh, Corinthians, look at Isaiah 28. Isaiah 28. You see, and as you're turning there, God did bring his discipline upon Israel. In 722 B.C., the northern kingdom was taken by the Assyrians. And in 586 B.C., it was taken by the Babylonians. God brought his discipline. He removed them from the land. He removed them, Okay. Look at Isaiah 28, and this is the passage Paul is quoting back in relationship to tongues. And it has to do with judgment. It has to do with a sign concerning judgment. Isaiah 28, verse 10, and you can read the rest, but here he says, For he says, order on order, line upon line, line, order on order, line on line, line on line, a little here, a little there. Indeed, 
He will speak to this people through stammering lips and a foreign tongue. That's actually the quote that is in our first Corinthians passage. By men of strange tongues, I will speak to this people, right? Okay. And he says here, he said to them, here is rest, give rest to the weary and here is the repose. But they would not what? They wouldn't listen. They wouldn't listen. God had been coming to them over and over again. Repent, repent, repent. You're on your way to discipline. They wouldn't listen. So the consequence would be being taken over by these nations and the sign would be they're speaking a different language. And that's what Paul shares here. He says, So the word of the Lord to, to, to be to them, order on order, line on line, a little here, a little there, that they may go and stumble backward, be broken and snared and taken captive. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers who rule this people who are in Jerusalem. So this is the portion back in 1 Corinthians. No, it's kind of complex. Back in 1 Corinthians, this is what Paul quotes, which the Jews would understand. This passage relates to God's judgment upon Israel for their rejection of him. 1 Corinthians 14, 21 again. Let's read it. In the law, and this is what we just read, by men of strange tongues and by the lips of strangers, I will speak to this people. Even so, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. And then he draws his conclusion. So then, Greek and hosta. It's the word hosta in Greek. Inferential conclusion. So then, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. In context, the Jews who rejected their God and had the ultimate rejection of Jesus Christ. Crucify him. They rejected their Savior. And Jesus made it clear that there would be consequences, that not one stone would be left upon another for the temple. There would be consequences for their rejection of him. And on the day of Pentecost, when the church was born, when God's plan officially left the Jews for tempor- temporarily to go to the Gentiles, there were tongues of fire. Fire is judgment. It is judgment. And when Peter was asked, what's going on? They were mocking. Oh, these men are drunk, all these things. And, and Peter says, no, that's not what's happening. But this is what the prophet Joel spoke of. What did Joel speak of? The day of the Lord, judgment. Judgment. Acts chapter 2, verse 14. But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared, Men of Judah and all you are in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. Give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk. Those are the people speaking in tongues, right? As you suppose, for it is only the third hour. But this was what's spoken through the prophet Joel. Joel 2 is about judgment. You see, on the day of Pentecost, God manifests this sign that the time was numbered for the Jews. And by 70 A.D., They were destroyed, the temple was destroyed, and they were dispersed. And they didn't come back together in the nation until, as prophesied, as we see, this happened back in 1949 where they came back. God had brought forth his disciplinary judgment, and tongues was a sign for that. Now, God was gracious because within that, the sign also edified. If there was interpretation, it was God's mighty deeds, and people were built up with the truth that was being shared. But he says, it's a sign. 1 Corinthians 13, if there are tongues, they will cease. They're going to stop. And we see historically speaking that after the temple was destroyed, there was no tongues in the church. There was no tongues in the real church. There were false churches that had stuff. But in the genuine church, you look in history, and it only started in the early 19th century again, as we see. Okay? 
And I'm not saying it started by God in that point, okay? It was a sign for, just, for Israel. It's a sign. So it's my view that, as the Word says, they have ceased. Now, there's a lot of different views in Scripture, but I think we just have to... I mean, that people... Not in Scripture. There's one view in Scripture. A lot of different views for people. But I think this helps us understand the primary purpose, okay? Now, we can get in arguments and all this stuff and all... Forget that. These are the things I don't believe are functioning... Um, so let's get back to our passage, First uh, Corinthians 12, and look at the rest of the gifts. You see, once, and I'll show this, once Jerusalem was expelled, the sign was no longer there. Just like when they were expelled back in 586, the sign was done. You see what I'm saying? They were expelled. Once 70 AD, expelled, it's done. It's done. The purpose is done. So then, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. That's the key. Okay? All right, so back to our passage here. Um, he says here in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27, Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, and those are not in effect now, I'll share it in a minute, and the third teachers. The term apostle means sent one. These are the apostles of the Lamb. They are the ones that Jesus Christ personally sent. We have 11 true apostles and then Judas, the son of perdition. And we have one untimely born, the apostle Paul. That's 12. And then we have that first apostles, then prophets. And we've already looked at prophets. So with sign and revelatory gifts, don't forget timing. People will take you captive by going into Acts. Acts is a historical book. And certain things happened historically. And they will pull that out of its context and try and tell you that something applies now when other passages would contradict that. Okay? Okay, sign of revelatory gifts. That's enough of that. We don't have those. But let me summarize the ones that we do have that we are to employ, and then we'll finish up. Okay? Two basic gifts of categories. Um, and the giftings are different, just like our physical bodies are different. Different parts and different pieces. Okay? We saw last week from 1 Corinthians the gift of faith. It's a special ability to trust God above and beyond. You see, we all are to trust God, but God gives some in the body a special ability above and beyond for the sake of the body. If you have that gift, God is going to cause you to believe the word above and beyond and use that to benefit other believers. (coughs) Excuse me. Second one, discerning of spirits. The ability to make judgments of the spiritual reality behind something. There are certain people in the body of Christ. We all should be discerning. We see that in Scripture. There are certain people in the body of Christ that have above and beyond for the benefit of the body. And we need to listen. When someone has this gifting, you may not going to say, I have this gifting to tell you this, but someone comes alongside sharing the Word of God, having discerned it rightly in relationship to something we may be wrong on, we need to listen. We need to listen. Teachers, highest priority of gifts right now. God has given men and some women, not to teach men, but some women, (coughs) a gift of teaching. The special ability to teach God's word above and beyond. Gift of helps. The term speaks of laying hold. (coughs) It speaks of helping someone personally. That's a spiritual gift that God gives you above and beyond. It's, it's a reality that you didn't have before you came to Christ, where he draws you to help people individually. 
Help them in their walk with Christ. Help them in the things that they need. Ministrations, we saw that was the word that means the rudder of a ship. There are some giftings that God gives to steer the body of Christ from behind. Then from Romans 12, we saw the gift of serving. Simply just means serving. There are some who have a spiritual gift of serving, and God has called you to do that until he takes you home. Serve, right? The word meant serving tables. God has given a gifting, a spiritual reality underneath. When you're trusting in Jesus, abiding in him, you're relying on his grace, he brings about those circumstances to serve him, to serve him. Now, we all should serve, but it's above and beyond. We saw teaching again in Romans. We saw exhortation, encouragement, the ability to come alongside someone and speak the truth to them, right? We saw giving. God is a gift of giving, Romans 12, but it's to be done with simplicity, no strings attached. It's not a gift to get. It's not a gift to manipulate. It's God through you blessing the body of Christ as the Lord leads. It's a spiritual gift. It's a gift of leadership or ruling. It speaks of standing before, pro-istomy. It's a, it's a gift that leaders and elders would have. Uh, those who rule well, 1 Timothy 5.17, it's the same word. Those who lead, they stand in front. We've got the rudder steering, we've got those who stand in front. There's the gift of mercy, above and beyond the mercy that we should show for one another. Some of you have this gift, and you are to exercise it with cheerfulness. You're not to get down by the situation. See, if you're being merciful to somebody, they're not in a good situation, right? They're helpless, and they need help. And then from Ephesians 4, we have gifts that are in effect still evangelists, the ability to share the gospel of Christ, that people would be saved and be placed into the body of Christ. You know, we all have a responsibility to be ready to share, to, 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 to be ready, you know, and to share yet with gentleness and reverence. But there are some who have a spiritual gift to evangelize, gospelize. It's a spiritual gift for the benefit of the body. And pastors and teachers, that's one of my gifts, pastor, teacher. It's a spiritual gift to shepherd and teach God's word for the equipping of the saints for the works of service. And as I shared, what we'll see next week, there's a summary. Whoever speaks, let them speak as it were the utterances of God. Whoever serves, let them serve by the strength that God supplies. Two different areas. Speaking gifts, speak his word. Serving gifts, serve by his strength. Okay, to finish up, let's look at the end of verse 10, back in 1 Peter chapter 4. We didn't get to it last week, so we'll get to it this week. Unless the Lord takes us, wouldn't that be great? <laughs> All right. First um, Peter 4.10. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. It's a command to employ. As each one has received a special gift, diakoneo it. Use it. Employ it. Employ it. You see, we've been saved to serve the Lord God. Throughout Scripture, we are to be those who serve. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and cling to him. Deuteronomy chapter 10. Joshua 24. Now, therefore, serve the Lord in sincerity and truth. First Chronicles 28. Serve him with a whole heart. First Samuel 12:20. But serve the Lord with all your heart. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart and consider what great things he has done for you. We've been saved to serve Jesus, a good master. We used to serve sin and death. Bad, horrible situation. We've been delivered. 
And he says here to do so as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. There is a stewardship in the gifting that God has given you. If you are a believer, you are a steward of the gifting he has given you as good stewards. The term steward here, oikoname, speaks of one who is put in charge of a household. It's a stewardship. It has the idea of a manager or a steward. It's one who has authority and responsibility. God has gifted each and every one of us with one of those gifts. I showed in the back of your sheet and show the passages. We've all been gifted and we have a stewardship. We have an authority to exercise in the context of grace and we have a stewardship. Now, if you think of stewards, stewards will give an account. Everyone's going to give an account. God has gifted him. He's gifted me as a pastor teacher. Woe to me if I don't preach. Woe to me if I don't exercise the gifting that he has given me. Woe to me. This leads to the question, are you a good steward or a bad steward? You see, are you relying on his grace, functioning in the gifting he's given you as you're around the body of Christ? Or do you not know what it is? You're just not even functioning. You're going to give an account. He says, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. I had a pastor very early in my Christian walk say, understand from the word of God what your spiritual gifting is and wrap your life around it. God's gifted you that way. Serve him that way. Now, obviously, there's other things we do that God has called us to do. But we need to understand this gift. This is what he's called us to do as followers of Jesus Christ. If you are a follower of Jesus, this is a command that Jesus commands us. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. The apostle Paul understood his stewardship of his speaking gift, by the way, as an apostle. He understood that. He understood the accountability. First Corinthians chapter four, verse one. Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ. Hey, if you want to think of me, think of me as a servant of Jesus, right? And he says, and stewards of the mysteries of God. That's God's word that he had brought forth. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy think of someone that is given a stewardship to watch over a house and they don't watch over it right there's a responsibility and there is an accountability and here he says it is required of stewards that one be found or 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 discovered as trustworthy you could also translate that word faithful faithful now for some of you this should be convicting because you know you haven't been a good steward. And there's a possibly a couple reasons. One, you never knew the Lord or you don't know the Lord. And you, you haven't turned truly and trusted in Christ. In that case, you're never going to understand gifting because you don't have it. Or secondly, you've come to Christ and you just don't walk by his grace every day. You're not d- d- daily dependent. You're hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You're d- you need to daily walk by his grace and he'll manifest these desires in us. Or third, you're young and you don't know what it is. Or fourth, you haven't wanted to know what it is, honestly, what your gifts are. It is required that one be found 
trustworthy. We're to employ our gifts as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And it's not a guilt trip now where I've got to go out and learn my gifts to do it because Greg said so. God says so in his word, and it's for good. There's nothing more blessed than serving the Lord by the strength that he supplied in the way that he has ordained. It is so blessed. Let me ask you this. Are you faithfully serving his people with the gift that he has bestowed upon you? If not, we should be convicted. Do you know your spiritual gifts? Some people may be functioning within it and not even know what it is. They're not saying it, but they're exhorting or admonishing or being merciful, whatever it might be. Are you a new believer? You want to know how God has gifted you that you might function accordingly. Paul assumes in every passage he writes, and Peter in this passage, that we know what our gifts are. As each one has received, employ it. Employ it. So let me share some practical steps to learn how God has gifted you. First of all, pray. Lord God, I want to obey you. I want to follow you. I want to be, I want to be about your will. God's good. You pray a prayer like that, he's going to answer that. He wants you to, he wants you to follow him. Secondly, get into the word of God and look at these giftings and ask God to manifest from his word how you are to function. Third, be walking by his grace. If you're not relying on Jesus day in and day out, you're never going to know how he's gifted you because that's, it's in the context of trusting Jesus. Fourth, be around the body of Christ. Show up. God uses us together and he starts to put on our hearts those things and brings about those opportunities in front of us to exercise those things that he has given us i guarantee these gifts are things that are not from you they're things that are different that god gives you a desire when you're following him i have a burning desire to preach god's word and teach his word that didn't come from me it didn't come from me and lastly, I want to help you. Bob wants to help you. Come does and ask us for wisdom. If you're walking in the Lord, trusting in him, humbly confessing sin, he's going to reveal through his word how he's gifted you. He says, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your truth. Thank you so much that you have given us each gifts for your glory. And Lord, I pray that we would be those who are good stewards. I pray for those who are not saved, that they would recognize they're not saved and they would turn and trust in your son, Jesus. Pray for those who are saved, who may be hardened by sin or, or, or ignorance of your truth or bad decisions, Lord God, that they would just confess and start fresh and walk with you, Lord God, follow you. And Lord, for those of us who know you and are serving in our gifts, may we not become arrogant. May we not rely on our own strength, Lord God, as we see what you're doing in us. May we give you all the glory. May we abide in you and trust in you completely. Lord, I pray for this body that we would gladly and joyfully discover how you've gifted us, that we would serve you and one another so that Christ would be magnified. We pray this in his precious name. Amen.